we will watch a short video clip. Peppa Pig is making headlines as the long-running children's show has introduced a character with same-sex parents. This is a first for the series. The storyline comes after years of campaigning for the program to showcase a more diverse selection of families. A petition to persuade the series creators to make the change was launched two years ago and gathered almost 24,000 signatures. In the new episode titled Families, Penny Polar Bear draws a picture of her family and explains she has two mommies. Check it out and drop your thoughts in the comments below. I'm Penny Polar Bear. I live with my mummy and my other mummy. One mummy is a doctor and one mummy cooks spaghetti. I love spaghetti. Lovely Penny. Oh, this just warms my heart. Listen, this is the power of the audience wanting this for so many years. And also with this being one of the most popular children's shows of all time, this is a step in the right direction. You were trying to tell me something before. What? Earlier in the lift, before the Nothosaurus went all crazy, it seems super important. It was. Truth is, Sammy, I've fallen for you. Like, hard. Real hard. I know. I heard you earlier. I just wanted to hear you say it again because I've been wanting to hear you say that since I don't even know when. As we look into God's word, let's pray together, shall we? Our Father, we thank you that in your presence is always holy grounds. And you are here before we got here. And you'll be here after we are long gone. Yet we know we'll be in your presence forever. We pray that as we come into your word, that we will come with humility who come to be changed, us as individuals, as a church body, that you may be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> so this morning I'm talking about homosexuality and Jesus. And hopefully the video gives you uh, a bit of an idea. So the contention and in our part of the world, for some people, the anger against homosexuality and in some cases against homosexuals is not strange to us, isn't it? We know it in recent times. We've heard a lot of words. We've felt a lot of feelings on the radio. And there are reasons uh, that people, for, for people feeling that way and talking that way and acting the way we act. 
But I want us to understand that in the midst of the brouhaha, in the midst of the whole chaos and fight and the politicians taking it from one angle and the traditionalists from one and the Muslims from another and the Christians also firing from another front, it is important for us to realize that there are some who are sincerely confused about what is going on. They are sincerely. They have no clue what on earth is happening? They're confused about the whole debates. Again, I want us to realize, let's, let's get real here, that there are some in the church who have same-sex attraction. They are attracted to, they have that kind of feeling to the, <clears throat> to the same sex, gender. There are some. It, it's 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 not strange, right? It is there with us. I dare say, take it further, that there are some who may be amongst the body of Christ who are practicing homosexuals. So there is a difference between having same-sex attraction and acting on it into homosexual practice. The two are different. They're not exactly the same. But both are here within our society. They are within the church. And there are others who are confused, not so much trying to figure out how to make sense of the whole debate. They basically are confused because they ask the question, what's the big deal? I mean, why are we even spending time talking about this? If people want to love who they want to love, let them love who they want to love. And let's, let's get along. I'm confused about all these rantings and arguments and protests and so on and so forth. There are also those whose business is basically to deceive people along a particular behavioral pattern, whatever that is, not just in uh, homosexual behavior, but this is, they believe in this, not only do they believe in this, others must believe in this and find ways of dragging along and lobbying and doing all kinds of things. Now, my aim for speaking this morning on this particular subject as we finish off sex, sexuality, and Jesus, my aim is to Number one, speak, speak to those who are genuinely wrestling. You're genuinely wrestling with either the desire or the debate. One of them, you don't get the debate. And you know that there is something that goes on in your heart. Uh, I don't know, brothers and sisters, but you know that this is going on. I, I really want to say something to you from God's word. I hope the word of God, somehow, even though that is not my big focus, it might probably turn a being, would also have something to say to you if you are a practicing homosexual. Before you lift up your defensive barrier, just listen. Let's, let's listen, and then you can choose not to believe, but at least let's listen. Let's give it a shot. But I also hope that I will speak to those who describe themselves as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ on how they can and they should, on the basis of the word of God, engage those 
who may call themselves gay, homosexuals, lesbians, or whatever they may be. I hope that the word of God this morning will speak to us as well in the way we approach. So as a starting point, let's start by talking directly. We said we're talking about homosexuals and Jesus. That is what we are talking about. So let's go straight to Jesus first, right? Let's go straight to Jesus first and then hear if Jesus says anything about homosexuals or homosexuality and then we take it from there. Matthew chapter 19, the passage that was read for us. What does Jesus say about homosexuality? The answer is nothing. <laughs> it is true. If you look at it, there is nowhere in any of the Gospels where Jesus specifically addresses homosexuality. So he says nothing to homosexuality. At least that is what it seems. You read through the whole four Gospels. He doesn't really address homosexuality specifically. So he says nothing. On the other hand, he says everything about homosexuality and more. And that is, that is the genius of the Lord Jesus. You ask him this question, and then he knows your heart, he expands it. And then he addresses the root of the issues and all the issues. So, Matthew chapter 19, from verse 1 to 6, when Jesus had finished saying these things, he left Galilee and went into the region of Judea to the other side of the Jordan. Large crowds followed him, and he healed them. Some Pharisees came to him to test him. They asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Verse 4, haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the creator made them male and female. And he said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united with his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. So, Jesus here is responding, not to homosexuality, he's responding to a divorce question that has been put before him, and it was to trick him. And so, they asked him this question, and then he said, well, before I answer directly to your divorce question, let's actually deal with a bigger problem. Let me talk about marriage. Let me talk to you about marriage but let me talk to you about marriage from Genesis 1 and 2. And he's talking to the Pharisees, people who know the scriptures, and then he asks them the question, haven't you read? Haven't you read the first two pages of the Bible, of the scriptures? Haven't you read? And in talking about marriage, he addresses gender, that he created them male and female. And then he says that there is actually he created this marriage for union, not just sex. Sex is the crown of it, but the, the union is deeper and wider. It's more mysterious, and sex points to it. It expresses it. And he said the union is between these two genders. And their whole union in the flesh is rooted in the fact that they are genderly different, male and female. Male and female is what makes the one flesh, which is expressed in sexual union. Male and female is what, according to Jesus, in Genesis, makes it possible. 
because they are male and female. The creator's design is to reflect his very own nature, to reflect his plan, to reflect in his, um, his purposes in creating male and female. So you realize that God's hand is like that. When he's creating, he's creating this left and right, morning and evening, day and night. He creates animals in the same sort of fashion. And then he creates male and female. There is something about creation, the creator, that is reflected in the way he creates. And he says that they are oneness in the flesh. They, they become one flesh. It's actually rooted in the fact that they are male and female. So Jesus says, everything to understand about marriage, yes, everything to understand about sexuality, should be understood in the light of Genesis 1 and 2. Go back to the creator and what that means for the universe. So he goes for a bigger, bigger address. And he says that, just understand these basic things. Not just for divorce, but for every other thing. There is gender, male and female. And then there is marriage because it is male and female. And this one fleshness occurs within that marriage. It is interesting, when you look at the book ends of the Bible, the beginning and the end, it starts with marriage, it ends with marriage, right? It begins with marriage, and then it ends with marriage. Revelations 21 says, towards the end of the Bible, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. <clears throat> and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be their God. Did you follow? Coming out down as a bride. So it is true that human marriage is not the ultimate, and human marriage is temporal. Yet it points to God's purpose in uniting himself with humanity. It points to heaven and earth joining, all happening in Jesus Christ. There is a reason that they are different, similar in human terms, but different. God, humanity, joined in Christ, heaven and earth. And so when you take temporal, not ultimate, that is, people do not need to enter into marriage to be fulfilled. Once a person enters one, two people, male and female, enter one, they are actually expressing this universal agenda by God. Now, homosexuality, um, so, um, homosexual practice for followers of Jesus, for disciples, please understand this, is serious not because it is the unforgivable sin, or the only sin. But because of its very nature, it goes um, against the whole purpose of God displayed in the picture of human marriage as it is, reflects God's eternal purpose. That is why it is serious. That's at the heart of it. Indeed, every sexual perversion, not only homosexuality, but also perverse heterosexual re um, relationship. But in this case, we're talking about this. It goes right at the hearts 
of what God intends for marriage to display, for the relationship between the man and the woman to display. It's a gospel issue. It's not just a moral issue. And in fact, if it is a gospel issue, it's a moral issue. But it's first at the heart of it what God is displaying in this universe about himself, his purpose in rescuing and uniting himself with man, with human beings. And so we can say that if any sexual relation is okay, if any gender marriage is fine, then any gospel should be fine. Because here is it. Because marriage between the male and the female and their union, which is expressed in sexual union, according to God, points to his eternal purpose as displayed in the gospel of Jesus Christ. This gospel of Jesus Christ. If we change that, if we change the picture, we are actually attempting to change the reality. Because for us, God has given us this in his word as a pointer to the real. This is a picture. This is a temper. The real thing is there. We temper with this. We distort this. We are attempting to actually distort the real, which we can't. But in God's wisdom, he's given this. Then any marriage should be fine. Any sexual relation should be okay. So it is true that the Lord Jesus does not specifically mention homosexuality. He addresses it. He addresses it deeper. Later, Paul would take the same thing and you also go to Genesis and expand it as well. Add to it as the Holy Spirit leads him. He speaks to it. That any form of human marital sexual relationship, any form of marriage that does not reflect God's intent for marriage as a reflection of his eternal purpose, sets aside God and his will over those that he has created. And I hope that as we walk through these things, we realize that the reason Christians should talk and make a case and push and whatever they do is not the same as the reason, I dare say, uh, a Muslim will give. There's a gospel issue. There is an eternal purpose issue here. Jesus says that if you want to understand God's plan and purposes for sexuality and gender and family and so on and so forth, look at God's design for marriage and what it points to. It points to the gospel. That in and through the Lord Jesus, God has brought about union between himself and his people. Now by faith in Christ, human beings, sinners, can share in the very life of God. Being united to Jesus by obeying the gospel. And later, Matthew 19 itself can actually address why we tend to want to change it. But, can we move from there and actually go to Romans? What Paul is saying there, which is not different from what the Lord has said elsewhere. Romans 1. Verse 18 to 20. Let me read for us. Listen very carefully. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all human godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them, 
because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clear since, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over to the sinful desires of their heart to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relationships with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed sinful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Remember that over here, Paul is not necessarily specifically singling out homosexuality and going for it. It is included. But here's the big point. These are the beginning of Romans. This is a big point. All our problems with God and his word, all our problems with ourselves, all our problems in the world comes from one thing. At the heart of it comes from rebelling against God and his plans and his purposes for us in this universe. That is the root of it, however you look at it. It is what the Bible calls sin. All our problem is traced back to our own sin. So Romans 1 says that the heart of the problem is our heart. That's basically what he is getting. It is a human nature. There is something about us that moves away from God. Verse 18 of Romans 1 says, We suppress the truth of God. We don't like what he says, and therefore we say that it cannot be true. Verse 21 says, We refuse to honor God by giving thanks to him for the things he has made, and how he has made them, and for the purpose that he has made them. It's just human nature. Verse 23, uh, 22, we claim to be wise or we can be wise apart from God. We want to determine what is good and what is bad for ourselves apart from God's word. And then there is more. Human beings by nature would want to exchange the glory of the immortal God for images of various things. And so what we do, we go into idolatry. Not necessarily that we literally worship stone images, but we go into idolatry of the hearts. We create God and gods in our own imaginations for ourselves. We refuse to worship God as God. And the result of that is the holy judgment of God on humanity. By our nature, God's judgment, holy judgment, not vindictiveness. The righteous judgment of God comes. God gives us 
to the very thing. His judgment is not, yeah, it will be, but as we live in this world, we don't always necessarily see the fire, fire coming down from heaven. He gives us up to the very direction we want to go. So again, Romans 1, 24 to 27, therefore God gave them over to the sinful desires of their hearts. And brothers and sisters, as we talk about these things, we're not talking about them. We're talking about us. We're talking about human beings in general, by nature, outside of the Lord Jesus. So give homosexuals a little break for now. And let's journey together. Therefore, God gave them over to the sinful desires and their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies. God gave them. Is that where you want to go? They persist. It's not like they fell into temptation. They persist and insist that this is the way. We can decide what is good and bad for us. Leave us alone. We are independent-minded educated, sophisticated, enlightened people. Verse 26, because of this, God gave them over to shameful lust. This is judgment. If we will go this way, have it. Verse 28, furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind. When we, became wi- when we become wise in our own eyes, the result is always sad. It is sad. When you read these things and you think about others and you are like, yes, 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 you have missed the points. This is about humanity and therefore it makes you want to cry when God's judgment comes upon a people. So what we see in us and what we see around us is not human growth in it's not growth in human advancement or enlightenment before God. It is definitely human growth, but it is growth in declaring our autonomy of God, independence of God, independence of His will and His plans and His purposes. We don't like it. It cannot be true. We do not accept it. Now, here is the thing. Because of this declaration of independence, rebellion against God, and the resulting judgment of God, something has happened to us. Human thinking, by its nature, not that we cannot come up with signs and discoveries and cars and technology and uh, medical technology. No, we can come up with these things, but in relation to God, our thinking is now oriented away from him and from his purposes. Something has happened to our thinking. If you read Romans 1 again. Again, our desires, the very, the, not just homosexuals and their desire, even heterosexual people, the desire is warped. And that is why a person can be married and still chase another spouse or somebody. There is a disoriented desire, desire that was given to us by God. Our desire is no longer oriented towards God and his plans. And then our relationships are not oriented towards God and his plans. Something has gone wrong with us. Homosexuality is one. It's not the only one. It is one of them. 
It is one of those expressions of these problems that we have. Do you know that there is no place in the Bible that you can justify homosexuality? Interestingly, non-Christian, pro-gay, um, have researched and they have written, one of them is dead, they have written and said that, look, if you want to find reasons to ground on to practice homosexuality, and, and they are for it, don't go to the Bible. Everywhere that it talks about homosexuality is negative. So you don't go there to really affirm anything. Look elsewhere. Look at another source of authority, another source of argument to be able to carry on in this. There is no place in the whole of the scriptures. It talks about it. It talks about it in negative terms. So what I believe God wants us to understand, especially if you are lost in this whole debate, is that his word is clear on this matter. God's word is clear. He's not ambiguous. Homosexuality, he says, is wrong in the face of God according to the scriptures. We need to say it with compassion in our heart, but we need to say it because God says it. How dare we not say it? But there is good news. Can we talk about homosexuality and bring out good news? There is good news. Hallelujah. Amen. Start smiling. There is good news. There is good news, brothers and sisters. Homosexuality, according to the scriptures, is wrong in the face of God. But that is not the only word God has to homosexuals, for homosexuals. That's not the only word. He says without any ambiguity, clearly, in his word, it dishonors me. But that is not the only thing that I have to say to you, to those who are practicing homosexuality. And by the way, it is the same thing he says to those who are heterosexuals. It's the same thing. He doesn't have a particular message for homosexual and a particular message for heterosexual. The same thing he says. Because you can also have a heterosexual relationship that is so dishonoring to God. He says the same thing to everyone. What is that thing that he says? He says repent and believe. Just that's, that's it. Repent and believe. If you are straight, as they call heterosexuals, repent and believe. If you are homosexual, repent and believe. Jesus Christ lived, died, and was raised for you to unite you with God in him and by faith in him. So that when that has happened, the very desire that Romans 1 points out and the very thinking that have been warped, that have been twisted, the desire begins to be by the grace of God in the power of the Holy Spirit as we continually look, in, look into his word and fellowship in the community of believers, if things are working right in the community. That desire begins to be reoriented towards God until when Jesus returns, it is united with God. And all that this desire wants to do in eternity is to gaze on the beauty of Jesus. So he says that if we turn every day to Jesus and trust him, there is a deeper problem. What you see about the practicing, not just of homosexuality, but these other various things that have happened, 
he gets to the root of it. Our thinking in Christ begins to be oriented towards God. Now we begin to worship God as God. Namely, we want to stay under the lordship of Jesus Christ as Lord. Our lives begin to be oriented or reoriented towards God. God doesn't want any of us to persist in our sin. In any sin, he wants us to turn and be completely restored to him. That's his purpose. That's his desire. Now, I sincerely believe, and I know this is being recorded, so I will say it. I sincerely believe that for many who have same-sex attraction or are even practicing homosexuality, your feelings may be real. I dare not speak as though I can speak to what you are feeling. Only God can. So your feeling may be real. I admit that. We can argue with that. Feeling may be real. God understands you when you say that you find acceptance and your identity in it. But he wants you to understand this. He wants us to understand this. That it is because of sin, our desires and our affections have been affected. It's not every desire that we follow. You know that in human experience, isn't it? It is not every desire I felt this way and therefore I did it. No. Because we are aware that desires ought to be tested even when you are not a Christian. For those who follow Jesus, every desire is brought under the lordship and scrutiny of the spirit and he helps us that our desires are oriented towards him. We have misplaced affection and altered affections. That's what is going on with us. Even for those of us who are married heterosexually, it shows itself up every now and then, doesn't it? It's a problem. And again, God has more to say to homosexuals. Some homosexuals, from what I heard, from what I listened to, are so... Well, apart from those who argue, and uh, there are j people sincerely talking with them who are afraid that they will lose their homosexual relationship. They have become so close. They, they're so intimate. They find fulfillment there. Nobody says that those who are engaged in homosexual uh, sexual union may not enjoy anything at all. I'm sure. Perhaps there is some level of pleasure involved in the, in the act. So there is this fear. They believe that life may be miserable. In fact, life will be miserable. And they will lose a most precious part of their lives, even their very identity. Some believe they will lose their sources of livelihood. Jesus has good news for such people. We need to get it. He has good news. The same good news that he gave to you if you are in Christ. He says in Mark chapter 29 to 30, he says, Truly I tell you, Jesus replied, No one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mothers or father 
or children or field, for me and the gospel, will fail to receive hundred times as much in this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and field, along with persecution in the age and in the age to come eternal life. He promises you something. He promises my friends who are gay. He promises you something more beautiful than anything that you think you can lose. Following Jesus is costly. But the blessing thereof far outweighs any cost. And some of us, indeed, if the Lord calls you and you respond in that way, you will lose certain relationships. And indeed, some, we have to lose certain relationships in order to follow Jesus and to follow him faithfully. The reason God calls sinners like us and you, my homosexual friend, who may be online or wherever, the reason he calls you is that he wants to save us from his judgment and give us something exceedingly better. And let me say this as I push to a close to my militant Christian friends. Militants. Hang them. Hang them. I listened to some of us, our voices on the radio, and I was ashamed. I was ashamed that we call ourselves Christians because in responding to this issue, we were ungodly. We were ranting without basis. We were just moving from a cultural standpoint. And we were sentencing people to hell when we ourselves were practicing similar worse things. We show that we haven't believed ourselves in any way. And yet, for whatever purposes, we rant without compassion. The scriptures have something to tell us. And what he tells us is actually going to, I hope, affect the way we move towards homosexuals in particular ways. And he says it, Paul says it. <laughs> he doesn't mince words about the truth. Yet he says something in the end as a second part. Verse 9, 1 Corinthians 6. Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral as a whole, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, is there, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor the drunkard, nor slanderer, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Do you want me to read the list again? Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor greedy, uh, the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanders, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. The reason this list is important is that it connotes persisting in sin. It connotes lack of repentance, determination to go in a particular way. 
And isn't it amazing that he's put thieves in the list? So Paul hangs this, and then he tells the Corinthian Christians, verse 11, and that is what some of you were. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. Such were some of you, he says. Such were some of you. He says, before you address anything, look at your own history. Not just in the sense that you were doing some bad things. So you look at this list and say, I wasn't doing any of them. Such were, well, your heart was disoriented from God. Such were some of you, he tells the Corinthians. Some of you were practicing these things. We were also in that wrong direction of dishonoring God. And we were people placed outside of his kingdom. But God, but God in his mercy did something to us. What did he do? You were washed. Have you seen they are all in the passive? Not that you washed yourself. You were washed passive. That is, he made us pure before his eyes. You were justified. He put us right to himself, of course, by faith in Jesus. And all these things he tells us through Jesus Christ and by the power of the Spirit. He had to wake us from spiritual deadness by the Holy Spirit. It is God who did that in us and to us. What that means is that if I'm engaging somebody that I know is a homosexual, has all these desires and all these chaos is going on, the Word of God says that bear these things in mind, such were some of you. What will it do to you? It will move you to deep humility. You engage in word and in attitude towards homosexuals with such humility. We seek to listen to them. Listen to them. Understand their story and spiritual journey. Discern where things are. Engage them with winsomeness and respect and sincere gospel love. Because such were some of us. The other one, Asibi led us to pray about deep compassion. That means our voices will sound different on radio. That means we'll speak truth, but in love. So, brothers and sisters, our reason for saying homosexuality is wrong is not because of a cultural reason or that they are the worst sinners, but the reason is the gospel itself. The reason is the fear of God's judgments. And love for neighbor. That's why we say it. Otherwise, let's just shut up. Our reason is that the Lord will be honored in his purpose, in everything. His purposes are paramount. It's not about us. So when you are engaging it, think more about Jesus and think less about yourself. And when you think about yourself, say, such were some of us. But we were washed. We were justified. We want to draw our attention, the attention of people to the fact that God, Jesus has something better for us. He has something better. He has something better. He has revealed it in scripture. And so we engage with fear and trembling. Let me pray. Our Father, We cannot say all there is to be said. But work in our hearts. Work in our hearts. You know where we are at. 
as we watch the video, as a parent, Lord, I feel it. I feel the danger for my children to go off track. I feel anger at those who want to sell and insist and deceive. Yet I pray that in all these feelings and thinkings, in the clarity of your word and what you have said about these things, help us to move, help us to move towards everyone, everyone. Remembering that such were some of you sinners saved by God's grace, transformed, being transformed. Thank you. In Jesus' name.